Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There's an ethos to this place. These United States of our Americas, this ethic, this belief, it tells us that no matter where you come from, if your children are born in this place, then they are of this place. That if you pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of this America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, work hard, under God, take care of your family, indivisible, Keep your head down with liberty, white picket fence, and justice to car garage for all. You too, you from a distant land, you too can have your piece of this American dream. It's a powerful promise. Let us lure many good folk to these shores, but does it still hold true? Did it ever? Today on Snap Judgment, we put this notion to the test. One man seizes hold of the promise to write his own chapter of our American story, calling it The Country Doctor. My name is Lynn Washington, and my humble task is making radio great again and again when you're listening to Snap Judgment. Again, with a doctor hoping to make a difference in a small Midwestern town, a man who wants to do good in a community, a community that, like so many others across the country, is in desperate need of doctors. Snap Judgments, Nancy Lopez has a story. The first time I.S. Virgie drove through the small town of Dawson, Minnesota, he was on the lookout. My family, you know, we're Americans. We've grown up here our entire life. My three kids were all born here. But, you know, we will be the only brown Muslims there. Are the kids going to be bullied? Is there going to be racism? You don't know what to expect. But I.S. was drawn to Dawson for a reason. So my entire career, I've always worked in free clinics ever since I was at Georgetown. And then this was just taking it to the next level. I wanted to do more. And it's kind of that that impulse or that feeling of, you know, if not me, then who's going to do this? Who's going to go to rural America and help people? 
Disillusioned with his current post as medical director of a large hospital system in Pennsylvania, Ayes was itching to be back on the ground. He was ready to carry out his own vision of what a doctor should be, which oddly enough, only a place like Dawson could offer. The position I was applying for wasn't just a staff physician. It was, it was for a clinic medical director and chief of staff of the hospital. And this meant working directly with patients, hands-on, which also meant working longer hours covering the hospital, the ER, and the clinic. But that was okay with me as long as I was giving good care and, and treating people humanely. Still, as Ayas prepared to interview for the job, he was feeling especially sensitive to his wife Masarit's feelings because of what happened the first time he moved his family. We had just moved to Florida. In order to pursue his career goals. She was coming to visit me at the doctor's office where I was working, you know, in between patients. It was post 9-11, St. Petersburg, Florida. And she was driving in her car and she wears a hijab, a scarf over her hair, right? And a guy started waving a baseball bat at her, cursing and, and yelling, you know, profanities. Telling her things like, go back to your country. And she thought she was going to get injured and attacked. And she had our two kids in the back seat, Faisal and Imran. When she got to Ayaz's office, she just just broke down in tears and she was so scared. And I felt like such a failure as a husband because I wasn't there. I didn't protect her. And I brought her to Florida. And um, to this day, she still has nightmares about that. In fact, when we entered Dawson for the interview, I told Masard, I said, listen, all it takes is the smallest person looking at you the wrong way, and we won't take this position. We won't take this job. We won't move. We were, again, hyper-resonant, hyper-alert to anything that would just feel wrong. But we didn't encounter any of that. I mean, the whole town knew we were coming. People would just stop us on the streets and, hey, are you, are you the new uh, doctor candidate? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I work at the post office. We're so happy that you're coming out. We ate at Wanda's downtown cafe. Nobody looked at us funny. We felt completely comfortable. And it was funny because during my interview, um, there was a medical emergency, and I was the only doctor there. So the nurse practitioner asked me if I could help, and I actually went and I helped her in the ER with a new onset atrial fibrillation to help guide treatment. So that was, uh, I guess, a working interview to some degree. And when Ayaz and Masarit visited the elementary school, they found a line of people. Who just, when we walk in, say, welcome to Dawson. I mean, it's like, how much more picturesque can you get? It was... It was almost like a dream. I remember coming back to the hotel with Masarit and we, we were just talking. And it was like, man, where's, that, where's the bad stuff? Are you finding anything? Because I didn't find anything. She's like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm really, really surprised. In a matter of months, Ayaz, Masarit, and their three kids moved to Dawson into a yellow Victorian house on Pine Street. Ayaz would soon learn that it was the same house his new boss at the hospital grew up in. Things just worked out so as well as they possibly could have for us. Uh, the kids did great in school, they made friends. The hospital practice was everything I had expected. I really enjoyed my work. Even Masarit found her place. An esthetician herself, she opened up her own salon. Which is incredibly busy. 
I always joke to her like she was always the doctor's wife. Now I'm the esthetician's husband because she's so busy. It's harder to get an appointment with her. One day, when Ayaz walked down the street to the local butcher's, I think I was getting some cheese or eggs or something. The butcher took him to the back. They found out through some circuitous way, I'm not sure how, people found out that we just eat halal meat, which is kosher meat. It's just you have to slaughter it and you say a prayer. Basically, you thank God, just like you would say a prayer before you eat. And the butcher offered to say a prayer for Ayaz's family the next time he slaughtered a cow. These are the days that we slaughter. And if you want, if you want to make a recording of the prayer on your iPhone or something and just send it to me, we'll, we'll do it for you. And I was, I was in shock. They did it, you know, gladly, without any reservation. So it didn't take Ayaz and Masarit long to become friends with their neighbors, like Jason, a fellow dad from their kid's school, and Doug, who ran the local grocery store. So Dawson for Masarit and me basically became our extended family. By 2016, we were living in Dawson for a couple years. And I remember seeing there was, there was two Trump signs I saw in town. But I just thought that that was an outlier and that nobody would ever do that. And then came the morning of November 8, 2016. So that morning I woke up early, went to you know the voting precinct, which is just about 100 yards from my house, and then voted didn't think twice about it. I just thought that this was going to be another day. I went to work. I went and I took care of patients. I went to the hospital, took care of my neighbors and family and friends. So I, I got home from work, had dinner with Masarad and the kids. We were in bed and I turned the TV on. I think it was CNN. And then it started becoming so much more reality. And I was there with my wife and we're watching it. Right now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon, a TV personality. A big pit just kind of opened in my stomach. And I was like, you know, how is this possible? I couldn't sleep that night. And I remember that um, the first thing I was going to do, the first thing I was going to do in the morning is I was going to check how did Lackaparl County vote? That was my county. Oh my God. I mean, really, I cannot believe this. I was so, I don't know, I was, I felt, first thing was betrayal. When I saw that 65% of my town voted for this guy, when I saw that, I knew I'm leaving. I said, we're out. I was like, I'm done. It's, it, I, this was a mistake. I'm leaving. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just burning up inside. So I, uh... I was just yeah. to stop and just understand where you're coming from a little bit. Like, that sounds impulsive, but, but help us understand why this weighed so heavily on you. Yeah. So in uh, rural America, it's really hard to find doctors. It's really hard to get people there to stay. And most of the time after doing four years or what have you, they go off and move to a city and, and practice. For me, it was the opposite. I chose to go to an underserved area to help people who primarily are voting me as the other. They vote for somebody who clearly is anti-you. Once you want a registry and says Islam hates us. Mm. And, and that's, a, that's a harsh judgment to make, right? What, that 
everybody hates Muslim or everybody wants you on a Muslim registry and uh, or that all Trump supporters are anti-Muslim. Well, it is harsh, but what is this? What does this guy say? I mean, he says it. He doesn't deny it. He's hey, I want Muslims should be banned. Like, how do you how do you cope with that? I started thinking about, are people, do they really look at us differently? And I, I couldn't get that thought out of my mind. I couldn't get that out of my mind. I went into the clinic and everybody could see that I was not in a good place. I'm always joking with, the, you know, the lab techs and the nurses and with the patients, but there was none of that. One of the lab techs came up to me and said, happy Monday. And I was like, what the heck is happy about it? We've got a racist sociopath as a president who wants me on a registry. He wants to ban my family from coming to see me. And I'm sitting there venting this cathartic type of, you know, on just an innocent, you know, lab tech. These weren't thoughts in your head. You, you actually say these things? I to did, to her. I did, I did. Yeah, I was angry. Another nurse came up to me, Maggie, and said, hey, Dr. Virgie, it's going to be okay. And I said, you're, it's going to be okay because you're white. Okay? I'm not white. And I told her, I said, if you could take the brown out of me right now and throw that on a registry, you'd do it and keep the MD. And then she started crying. And I was like, whatever. And then, of course, wow. the next, yeah, it's terrible. I, I did those things. And then I, I, just, I just walked away because I, I, uh, I couldn't be there. Back in his office, Ayas started putting things in motion. He picked up the phone and left a message for his real estate agent, saying he wanted to put his yellow Victorian house on the market immediately. Then he emailed his brother in Dubai, telling him to look for places for Ayas and his family to live. Then I go to Stacy's office, who is the CEO of the hospital. And then I say, Stacy, I'm resigning my position as medical director and... Chief of Staff as of today, effective today. I'll still be a, a physician taking care of people, but I'm going to leave Dawson. I want you to be aware of that. She was, you know, very measured and calm and said, listen, I, I think it's, it's best for you to, um, why don't you take the day off? We can talk about these things tomorrow. I would hate for you to, to do something that, you know, out of anger that you'd regret. I didn't, I didn't go home quite yet. I wanted to finish the day with seeing patients. And that's when I met Pastor Mandy. She was one of my patients that day. I went in and I had asked him a question about all of the certificates hanging on his wall. And he kind of like snapped and was like, I'm a doctor. And like somehow he interpreted that as me like questioning his credentials it it wasn't like me to act this way. I mean, I don't remember ever being like this. I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to see him anymore. You know, like he was really mad, like on edge. But that's what happened. You know, I'm not a saint. I'm not a hero. I'm not any of these things. I just, I, I'm also a human and I can feel. I wanted to say something that day to him. As a white person, as a white Christian, like I will never know that that pain that he felt. Mm. But it was very much a doctor-patient relationship, and I didn't 
think it was appropriate then to to say something. The next day, I, of course, I apologized to everybody. I apologized to the lab tech. I apologized to the nurse. I apologized to pretty much everybody I could because I realized how, how bad it was. It was uh, just a few days after the election. That was a big day for us. I was in to see him as a patient. By that time, I knew him well enough. I, could, I can read if there's a problem. Doug Peterson was more than just a patient. I've been here my whole life, born and raised in Dawson, Minnesota. So I pretty much know everybody. I even know what car to put the groceries in when I help the old ladies out. When Doug first met I.S. We had a hard time finding doctors coming. So when they did come, I would go to them. I.S. found a mass in the back of Doug's throat. And I was diagnosed five weeks later with amyloidosis. And it was one of those diseases where they tell you not to Google it. And when Ayaz went out of his way to find a surgeon in South Dakota who would operate on Doug. We got to spend a lot of time together during that time. Their friendship was sealed. I trust him with my life. He just became really close to my family. He's probably one of my most trusted friends. I mean, the election was over. And uh, I knew something was wrong because he wasn't his normal self. He was very agitated, pacing. I'm like, something's wrong, what's going on? He's like, you don't know? What are you talking about? They elected him, Trump. And then he's like, who did you vote for? Did you vote for Trump? And then that's probably where it started. And I said, yeah, I did. Why? Why would you do that? That's a personal insult to me. And I'm like, well, I apologize, but I didn't do it to insult you. I did it because he said he was going to fix the health care, Obamacare. He was going to fix that. Where did you think the guy who has never served a minute of public service in his life could fix this for you? But I said, if he's got all this money, why would he even want to be president? So maybe... If he says he's going to do something, he'll actually do it. It's tough going out here. And I I said, there must be something more, Doug. It can't just be that. And for Doug, it wasn't just that. He was going to make America great again. He was going to bring more jobs and pay was going to be better and taxes would be less. So then Ayaz rattled off all of the things the new president-elect had publicly said about Muslims, about Mexicans, about women. I said, I don't follow the news like you do. So I didn't, I didn't know. So I asked him for forgiveness for something that I did wrong that I didn't know that I did wrong. And, and he goes, well, I don't mean it like that. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, were you wrong, though? Did you really do anything bad? Well, I didn't, I didn't think so. And I think I apologized for hurting him and not knowing how it hurt him that that happened. It was still a doctor's appointment, so we still went over my stuff. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't mad at me. He was mad. 
he was mad at the whole world, I think. But especially our little town. I really felt hurt. I probably felt more hurt from my own community voting this way than I did the fact that he got elected. And so, did things inevitably change? Or did things just resume to normal? Um, definitely not normal. When we return, Ayaz goes back to work at the hospital, but he's determined to leave Dawson. Stay tuned. From Snap's quarantine lair, welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Country Doctor episode. When last we left Ayaz, it was days after he blew up at colleagues and friends for how they voted in the 2016 presidential election, and now there's no going back. Everything has changed. I remember there being tension at the school the day after the election. The high school students are all chanting, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. And it's like, where did all this stuff come from? And maybe I look at myself and say, gosh, maybe I was just naive. I don't know. Aya started sending out resume after resume for jobs abroad, including one for the primary physician at the U.S. military base in Qatar and another for medical director at NYU in Abu Dhabi. Small town. If something good happens, people talk about it for a short period of time. If something bad happens, people talk about that until somebody else does something worse. But the rumor was that Dr. Virgie was leaving. So everybody knew. Yeah, it, it got around town that he was just so angry about the way that this community voted. At the time, Mandy was fairly new to town. Originally from Minneapolis, she had moved to Dawson just a few months before the election. But as an interim minister at Grace Lutheran Church in Dawson... I heard all those conversations. So I heard from you know, some people that he's acting like a big baby. He's pouting, he's throwing a temper tantrum, he didn't get his way... I heard from some that, oh, like, we don't want him to leave, but, you know, he should just suck it up and deal with it. And when Ayaz got home from work one day, his son Faisal stopped him on his way up the stairs. He said, hey, Dad, can't we just pretend we're not Muslim so that we can stay in Dawson? And I was just shocked, and I was like, oh, my God. I remember that being a particularly tough moment. I didn't know how to handle that. I don't know what to say. I just walked away. Things had changed, for sure. Certain kids' friends wouldn't come over anymore to our house. I mean, that just stopped. People who I was close to, I mean, we just completely fell apart. Certainly part of it could be that we were angry and people were surprised to see that. 
but we became a little bit more inclusive, or I'm sorry, reclusive, and kind of stayed home a little bit more often, didn't go out as much, and maybe when we did, we would just go to Minneapolis, St. Paul area. So in a way, you were pulling away from the community. I would say that's true. But Ayaz was still the town doctor, so it was nearly impossible for him to keep a low profile and not interact with people. One day at the clinic, Ayaz was walking with the nurse to see a patient. She made the comment that, yeah, politics is so divisive these days. And then the patient said, well, you know why we have to keep those Africans out of our country? And I was like, uh, no, why? She said, well, you know what religion they are. And I was like, no. Well, they're Muslim. We have to keep them out. And I said, do you know that you're talking to a Muslim? Well, well, that's okay because you were born here. And I said, I wasn't born here. I was born in Africa. She was kind of stumbling on what to say. And she said, well, I hope you know that I don't see you that way. And I'm just thinking, you better see me that way. What are, I'm not pretending to be anything else. I mean, there's so many emotions that are just going on in your head. So I found myself second-guessing people a lot, and that's terrible. You shouldn't do that, and that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. But that's the place I was, I would say, you know, weeks after the election. I'm pretty sure I was probably at his house that night, Sarah and I had, and I just trying to figure out what he was going to do. I wasn't like outwardly angry, but I was still, I was still ready to go. I was like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to stay here. Uh, I thought, well, you're overreacting. It's not going to be that bad. You got to give it a chance. And I try to smooth it over, change the subject, stop focusing on uh, the news. As unhappy as I.S. felt in that moment, there was a whole lot to consider. He'd made his family move again, and he'd left a cushy job for Dawson. But leaving Dawson now would mean walking away from everything he'd worked so hard to build. I had developed certain service lines, like, for example, bedside ultrasound, non-invasive ventilation. Who else was going to be able to do that? And then also the obesity medicine clinic. I'm the only board-certified obesity medicine specialist in the region, so where are these patients going to go? Then there's the guilt. Leaving your patients always is hard. Any doctor goes through this. If you leave a facility, leaving your patients is difficult. So then you, you're almost questioning yourself. Am I a hypocrite myself? Because now I'm, I'm ready to leave. Maybe I, I was never as strong in my commitment, but, but then it felt, no, these are, these are important. You know, I don't want anything to happen to my family. But before Ayaz and Masarik could decide whether to stay or go, out of the blue, he received an email from Pastor Mandy. She had an idea. Pastor Mandy wants to do a a lecture. She wants to do an educational talk here because people clearly need to know what's happened and how it's affecting you and why it's affecting you. And I think that people might just need to hear from a practicing Muslim what Islam is and what it isn't. Yeah, whatever, no way. I'm not doing this. That's not my job. I didn't come to rural America to teach about my religion. That's private. That's personal. I don't, I don't talk about it with anybody. I, I came here to, to be a doctor. And I never heard back. And 
I'm like, no, like, I'm just going to let it go. I thought maybe he was just wanting nothing to do with it. And then Mandy and I met. And it wasn't until, like, a follow-up appointment with him. I remember we went through my whole, like, appointment. This is super awkward. Like, do I bring it up? And it wasn't until the very end that he brought up the fact I emailed him. And I said, you know, maybe I'll, I'll hear what she has to say. Maybe, maybe I, I am I'm being judgmental. I just really was like, look, this is a really bad situation. Why not do something with it, you know? I mean, she was just a light. And I, I started thinking, you know, back to what brought me to Dawson in the first place, which was, if not me, then who? If I don't do it, then how can I complain why others are not doing it? So I said, okay, fine. Let's do this talk. So first, Mandy puts flyers around the town saying, you know, event, a Muslim speaker, guest, Ayaz Virji talking, you know, about whatever. And people just about lost it. Now there's a public protest to our talk. I was completely shocked that people would protest. They were multiple calls going to Grace Lutheran Church complaining that they shouldn't be doing an event like this. And there was such a protest against that that Grace Lutheran Church had to take down all their flyers and rebrand it as a Christian event, that it's a Grace Lutheran-sponsored event with Pastor Mandy France and guest speaker Ayaz Virgi. They couldn't mention Islam or Muslim or anything like that. I had clergy, other clergy people, telling me, like, I should never be allowed in a pulpit. I preach a false gospel. I tell every like, I was so naive going into this. I just thought, like, people were just going to love this. And in the midst of this backlash, Ayaz and Mandy's family grew close. Ayaz and Masarit started babysitting Mandy's nine-month-old daughter. And they would babysit her every Wednesday. During Lent, so that Mandy could give her sermons at Grace Lutheran. And people were concerned that they were going to convert my nine-month-old to Islam. It's like she just realized she has feet. And there was a lot of other things, you know, being said. Yeah, you know, Dr. Virji, do you know he forces his wife to cover her head? Virji shouldn't be allowed to put up Christmas decorations because they don't, they're not Christian. I literally remember a conversation with somebody that they raved about him as a doctor, that he had helped them with this blood pressure disorder that he had, this person had. And the gentleman said, he literally, like, saved my life. It's really unfortunate he's going to go to hell. It was like, you know, this had to have been there before. It couldn't have just started, you know. There must have been these feelings. There must have been something more. All the more reason why we have to do this talk. And the night before the big talk, Ayaz does a practice run of his presentation to an audience of three. Musarat and Mandy, and also a student of mine. Oh my gosh, he did. He like went through it. Everybody's jaw kind of hit the floor and said, You cannot give this talk. Because the talk was very, I guess, cerebral. It went into philosophy. It went into jurisprudence and, and different things. And, and Half the words I didn't understand. And I was like... No. Mandy said, listen, they want to hear three things. They want to know what Sharia law is. They want to hear women. They want to know if women have rights. And they want to hear terrorism. 
They want to know if you want to overthrow the U.S. government. Like, people want to know if you're a terrorist, and they want to know if all Muslims want to kill them. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's what they want to know. Oh, man. I, you know, I, I really missed the mark on this. Ayaz went upstairs to his room, took out his yellow legal pad, and redid the whole lecture. It was about 3 a.m. when he finally went to bed. The next day, he woke up with a terrible sore throat. I couldn't talk. It hurt to talk. And I was like, what are we going to do? But Ayaz went to work as usual. I took some prednisone. I took a nebulizer treatment. He did his best to conserve his voice. And then the evening came. We got to the auditorium. It was packed. Everybody showed up. We had 400 people at least that were in the room. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't, you know, I was like, I'm ready to do this. I hope I can do it. I hope my voice lasts for it. And then so Mandy did her introduction. Then I went up to the podium and I remember the lights being so bright. I could barely see people, but I could see Masarit in the front. I could see my kids. I could see Mandy. I sat in the back and I didn't think there was going to be any, you know, not a big deal. I had confidence in my community that they would learn and realize that there's no threat, that it's actually a good thing to have that family here. I went in no holds barred. I talked about Islam. I talked about terrorism. I talked about what Sharia law is. What Sharia is, it means path to life-giving water. It, I think, lands pretty well for a lot of people. I mean, there's definitely silence in certain kind of areas in, in the crowd. But there's also a lot of, you know, reception, I felt. And I, I quoted the Quran and I quoted the Bible and I had people actually tell me which was which and they couldn't. And then at one moment, the talk took a turn. Ayaz posed the question. Uh, does anybody know what jihad means? And they said, holy war. And I said, actually, it doesn't mean that. I said, yes, it does. It does mean that. You don't know what you're talking about. And I said, actually, it doesn't. It means struggle. And let me give you the, let me give you the examples. Then it would just be them kind of trying to talk over me and then I having to kind of say, listen, you know, part of this speaker-audience relationship is respect. He would just get so defensive. He would pace and he raised his voice and I was getting anxious. You have to respect me. You've asked me a question. I'm now answering it. You have to listen to it. If you didn't want the answer, then why did you ask the question, you know? Somebody quoted from the Bible to me and said, Jesus says in the Bible, I'm the the light, the truth, and the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. Do you believe that or do you not believe that? And so I said, no, I don't believe it in the way that you believe it. And there was kind of a gasp. It was like, wow, how, how could you not? This gentleman asked him a question about why aren't Muslims condemning terrorists? And he was like, how many Muslims are in your community? The guy was like, you? He's like, yeah, you're looking at him. He's like, what do you want me to do? Write it on the wall? I'm not a terrorist. Look, I'm condemning it. How many more times do I have to say that? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there is so much anger and hurt in him. And right now it's just all coming out. It's all coming out. For me, that was more a feeling of exhaustion. I was scared that he was just going to be viewed as this angry, like, Muslim. That people weren't going to hear what he was saying. They were just going to view him as this angry, brown Muslim. That's what I was scared of. 
Ayaz looked down at Masarit. She's, and I can sense her thinking, you know, pace yourself, don't get angry, give the message like we talked about, and just keep moving on. I'm here with you, we're doing this together, and I wouldn't have done it without her encouragement and without her support. I needed that. All right, let me just focus again. Let me remember who I am, why I'm here, where I'm going. He doesn't like people to watch that talk. He doesn't like to really talk about it because he was really mad. I remember getting home, being relieved and exhausted at the same time. My voice killed me. It hurt so bad. I think I gave everything I possibly had in giving the talk and answering the questions and just ignoring pain. When Ayaz woke up the next day, he heard that Grace Lutheran Church had already received a number of complaints about his talk. Some people said he didn't know real Islam. He needed to learn. I told Mandy, I said, we did what we said we were going to do. I'm very happy with it. And that was that. We're done. The coming days, I don't remember, but we started getting all these invitations to speak. Several invitations. People were contacting us saying, we want you to come do what you did in Dawson here. We want you to come and give that talk again. So it's very flattering when somebody says, hey, we want to hear your message. Ayaz's second talk would be in Montevideo, the next town over. One of the audience members stood up and said, you know, it doesn't matter what you say, you're the Antichrist. It doesn't matter what you do. Then Ayaz agreed to give a third talk. We got into a number of heated discussions during that talk. And then a fourth talk. That's when we realized that it's best for us to have some type of security. Ayaz had driven an hour away to give a talk at the University of Minnesota in Morris where members of the Muslim Students Association were being harassed as a result of Ayaz's visit. And I remember walking into the auditorium and it felt like an airport. I mean, they had metal detectors, they had fully armed police officers. People had to check in bags and I was like, oh my God, this is a whole different ballgame here. Then at a talk in Granite Falls, about a 40 minute drive away, a gentleman in the audience stood up. He so genuinely said, listen, I'm just sorry. I'm so sorry. And I remember nobody having sa- had said something like that to me. So it's, it's a bit of a, it's an area of vulnerability, isn't it? And so do you feel that he hit on something then? Yeah, I think, uh, I think he did. I remember going home that day thinking, hmm, you know, how much of this, my own rationale for doing these talks is because number one, I want to educate. Number two, I'm angry. Or number three, am I just in pain? Am I in hurt? Do I need this own catharsis myself? And probably at the end, it's a combination of things. But then, you know, pain can lead to fear. Fear can lead to anger. Anger can lead to hate. When did the death threat start? So I think it was soon after I remember getting this letter mailed to me in Latin and I was like, oh, maybe it's positive because he knew I went to Georgetown. Georgetown, you know, gives its diplomas in Latin. And then Mandy had translated that. And it was something about, you know, when you die, the world is going to be much better and, you know, this kind of thing. And I was like, oh, maybe not so good. Masarit didn't want to sit in the front with her kids anymore. She didn't feel safe. 
I thought, you know, you're taking this on now. That's great. You're trying to do a good thing, but you're also putting your family in danger. Somebody might beat the shit out of you on your way to your car. From that point on, Doug offered to accompany Ayaz and Massard and the kids to every talk. I'm more like um, escort. So I just watched people and made sure they got safely to their cars. And, and so were you armed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was. With? I have several, but I carried a small automatic that you wouldn't, unless I told you, you would never know I had it. And while the invitations kept coming, back home in Dawson, life for Ayaz and his family was still not back to normal. Will Ayaz stay in Dawson? Or will he leave? In Snap Judgment, the country doctor returns. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Country Doctor episode. My name is Glenn Washington, and when last we left, IS was giving talk after talk to packed audiences across Minnesota. But back home in Dawson, life was still not back to normal. Snap Judgment. My son is pretty uh, introverted to begin with. Uh, He wouldn't complain in general to us. And then he told me one day, well, you know, so-and-so said my mom is a part-time suicide bomber. And I was like, oh, man. Okay, this this is a whole new level now. This is quite hurtful. This is not one I could not tell Masarit about. And then she was really upset, really upset about that. To Ayaz and Masarit's relief, the school handled the situation promptly. It didn't happen again, so I'm sure that they, they did resolve it. But that stuck when Ayaz came across a swastika etched onto the sidewalk near his home, that stuck. Other things have stuck. One day, Ayaz and Masarit were at Wanda's downtown cafe, grabbing a quick lunch before they each had to go back to work. So we were sitting there, and I had maybe 20 minutes, and then a local resident just kind of came, sat next to us, almost as if you don't even have personal space, just, hey, I'm going to tell you what I think. The woman told Ayaz she didn't agree with the message he was delivering in his talks. So Ayaz asked her if she thought that Muslims should be on a registry. Absolutely. They all should be on a registry. And I was like, okay, you know what? We're going to finish our meal. Thank you. Goodbye. And it was like that. And how did you feel after she walked away? I was like, you know, these are the reasons we, we don't belong here. I was mad. I didn't understand that anger until it happened to me. When Doug heard about the incident at Wanda's downtown cafe, because again, small town, he couldn't sleep that night. I was very angry because um, she was his patient. So Doug got on his computer and just started typing. He described in detail his friendship with Ayaz and his family, how Ayaz was the reason Doug's health was better. He defended the family's right to live there. By the time he emailed what became an open letter to the Dawson Sentinel, 
It was 3 a.m. After my letter to the editor, I was, <laughs> was in the parking lot of the grocery store. And the same woman who'd interrupted Ayaz and Masarit's lunch the week before walked up to Doug. Asking me why I supported Dr. Virgie the way I did and why I stuck up for him. I let her do her yelling and screaming. To me, I didn't say a word. I stood there and I took it. She was so close, I could feel her spit on my face. And when we got all done, all I said to her was, what did I write that wasn't true? And it was silence. She couldn't answer me. And she left. The guy was standing behind his truck and he comes up to me and he goes, oh my God, was that your mother-in-law? I said, no. A disgruntled customer? I said, no. He goes, I've never seen anybody lose it like that. Then there was another incident. A neighbor had invited Doug over to look at some antiques. And as soon as he arrived... They asked if it was okay if we joined hands and prayed. And I agreed. Well, they were praying for me to find Jesus. They were questioning my faith, and so, so then it was it was like an intervention. Yeah, kind of like you know, they thought I was converting to be a Muslim because I was with Dr. Virgie all the time. I felt invaded. What right do they have to tell me that I'm going to hell? Why should they be able to take my inventory? I just left. That's when you find out who your true friends are. And Doug, would you say that you've lost friends along the way by being a friend of IS? I didn't so much lose friends. These weren't people that I spent time with on a regular basis. I lost respect for people that I thought were respectable in our community. It now been a year since the election. For Ayaz and Masarit, the big question was still on the table. Do they stay in Dawson or do they go? Although now it felt like there was more at stake. If we stay, what if something happens to, to the family or some crazy guy comes and actually acts on one of these threats that we're getting. But if you look for good, you will find it. And if you look for bad, you will find it. But you're gonna get both. If you look, you're gonna, you're gonna find that. Ayaz would be walking down the street and his neighbors. They'd stop in their car and say, hey, thank you so much, you've really opened my eyes. Or I'd have patients who would do that in the middle of an encounter. That happened at the hospital too. There were a lot of people who would do that. Even Doug became a beneficiary of this goodwill. His customers... It was mostly the older ladies. They would walk up to him. And they would hug me and tell me, give Ayaz a hug for me, because I love him so much. He's a great doctor. I don't want him to leave. So we did make that decision, Masart and I. We decided we were going to stay. I still really loved my job at Johnson Memorial. I did not want to give up my patience. You know, early on, you couldn't reconcile who these people were to you and how they voted. 
Do you feel you, you've learned to reconcile that now? So I say it's, it's, it's important for me to not like box an entire community into, again, right. you know, like that. So I would say that on the individual level, yeah, I just don't talk about it. Okay, maybe they voted for Trump, maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter, they're here right now, and this is what we're, we're talking about or what have you. Then it, it becomes much less of uh, something I even think about. So I, I don't even think about it anymore. And so after a year and a half of indecision, Aya signed a contract to continue as a physician at Johnson Memorial in Dawson. The decision was a huge relief. It also felt like an act of defiance. Some people may believe that we don't belong. Some people may think, we gotta get rid of all these Muslims. Not today. That was kind of the feeling. Not today, not leaving, we're staying. And so, what changed? Yeah, so it was weird. It's almost ironic, because um, out of nowhere, I think it was like six months later, then NYU Abu Dhabi contacted me. So I decided I would just go ahead and interview for the position, not thinking, number one, that I would get it. But five rounds of interviews later, Ayaz was offered the position of medical director of the health center at NYU in Abu Dhabi. And so then that decision-making just kind of spiraled into, wow, what do we do now? He said he was offered a position, pretty prestigious position. He didn't say that, but it is. It is. Ayaz explained it was an exciting opportunity. You know, they're really doing on a global scale what I'm trying to do on a micro scale. And it also meant being close to family, his brother, his parents, which is something Ayaz realized he needed now more than ever. I didn't say anything for a while. I was trying to absorb it. I was kind of um, surprised, I think. I didn't think he would. But he did. After five years in Dawson, Ayaz and his family packed up their quaint yellow Victorian house and hopped on a 16-hour flight to their new life in Abu Dhabi. I even drove their cats to Chicago so we could fly them to their new home. And it was sad. And Dawson, a town of 1,500 people, lost a doctor. And Doug, how did people in town react to his actually leaving? I think they were shocked, most of them. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're 150 miles from Sioux Falls, the capital of South Dakota. Uh, we're 150 miles from Fargo, North Dakota. We're 150 miles from Minneapolis. Everybody from surrounding towns would come to see him. We experienced a loss by that happening. But, you know, if I was going to have a prayer answered, it would be that they come back. Okay. Yeah, this is good. Great. So yeah, go ahead, have a seat. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'll just... How does that feel? Uh, good. I good. think this sounds great. great. So tell me where we are. So we're in Wilmer, Minnesota. It's about an hour away from Dawson. And we were invited here to speak tonight to give our love thy neighbor. It's December 2019, just a few days before Christmas. 
Ayaz and Masarid and the kids are back, but they're in town only to visit. The truth is, Ayaz has kept one foot in Dawson. He kept the yellow Victorian house on Pine Street, and he agreed to return twice a year during his breaks and work at Johnson Memorial to care for patients. I still, you know, we just got back uh, on Monday, and I had my first day in clinic on Wednesday. I was so happy, and I was like, why did we leave? Why did we go? And then, and then I, I looked at my mail, and I, I picked up that letter, and it was hate mail. You know, this guy said, all Muslims are going to hell. You worship Satan, and you're prince of Satan. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why we left. Never mind. But I still had a great day in clinic, and even yesterday, I had a wonderful day in clinic. I, I miss my patients a lot. And tonight, Ayaz will give his 26th talk. Tensions have been brewing for weeks here in Wilmer, as an anti-Muslim speaker and his followers have clashed with the local Somali population. And that's kind of what brings us here today. So I begin in the name of God, the most beneficent, the most merciful. If anything good comes out of today's discussion, then all praises be to God. Only the mistakes belong to me. Firstly, I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight and spending your Friday night. Ayaz and Mandy take the stage together. And I really like this format of the table. I'm usually pacing back and forth, but, you know, I, I think I could get used this to it. That's we have him, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so, so I'm a physician. Meanwhile, Doug sits to the side, keeping a watchful eye on the audience. He's the only one with the cowboy hat on. And next to him sits Masarit in her hijab. She's rocking Mandy's three-month-old son to sleep and has one ear towards Ayaz. This is hard. This kind of thing, it's difficult. Being here, giving these talks, it's not fun. I don't actually want it to be here. <laughs> I would prefer to be watching Star Wars opening night, <laughs> like probably many of you. But, but this is necessary, and it's mm. good. And we felt so much love from people also. I mean, we see the bad stuff, but there's so much goodness in the hearts of people too. It actually gives us... And as a talk comes to an end, no one will call Ayaz the Antichrist. No one will hurl insults at him. By all accounts, it's the best talk yet. I wasn't expecting it to be this good, so maybe we're doing something right, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I felt like that was really positive. so well. What? That's Masarit, and she gives Mandy a big hug. It's been six months since the Virgis moved to Abu Dhabi, but Masarit says it hasn't been easy. For us, going to Abu Dhabi is like going to a foreign country for us. It's not home for us. We're making it a home, but it's not home. The U.S. is home for us. It's just a... complicated. It is. It's very complicated, but it's... Yeah, we've met some really wonderful people being here, and I don't want to leave. I don't. So even like though we're here, I'm dreading going back to Abu Dhabi. And you're staying I, a little longer than you. Right? I am staying a little bit longer because I want to. Yeah. <laughs> he goes back two weeks. Him and the kids go back two weeks before I do. Yeah, I'll be staying back a little bit. Yeah. Do you feel you've made the right decision in moving to Abu Dhabi? I think it was the best decision to be made at the time we made it. That being said, there's definitely still guilt and a longing in both Masarit and me that none of this ever happened. 
I came into the hospital, I noticed Dr. Virgie's picture wasn't hanging on the wall. I spoke with Stacy, the CEO. So what, doesn't he work here anymore? Well, yeah. How come you took his picture down? She hesitated and she said, because when his picture's up, everyone wants to see him. And he's not here right now. That's why it's not on the wall. Sarat Virgi, and to Mandy France and Doug Peterson for sharing their story with the SNAP. And please make sure to check out Ayas's book, Love Thy Neighbor, a Muslim doctor's struggle for home in rural America. We'll have a link on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original score for this story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Nancy Lopez. No, it happened again. Remember, if this is the type of show you're going to think about, talk about, mull over with your significant other, but you missed a tiny bit, here's what you do. Subscribe to the Snap Judgment Podcast, where there is loads more where this came from. The people won't know unless you tell them. So tell them. If you love Snap storytelling, storytelling that is currently being made remotely, virtually, with shoestrings, duct tape, and a team full of love, support it. Go to our Patreon. Help us continue to tell amazing stories. Patreon.com slash snapjudgment. That's patreon.com slash snapjudgment. Snap is brought to you by the team that always welcomed the new kid at school with open arms. Unless, of course, that new kid was the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. There's Pat McSweet Miller, Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, John Facile, Shayna Sheely, Marissa Dodge. Nicka Singh, Eliza Smith, Lauren Newsom, Taylor Decott, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Leon Morimoto. Well, this is not the news. No way is this the news in the fact. Our neighbors could spray paint your house and call you all kinds of names. And even when they come into your hospital in terrible condition and you are the only doctor that can save them, you forget the entire horrible history and do the very best job you can for them. Maybe. Maybe you do that, and you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PR.